Greetings, travelers. It's Sunday, March 22nd, and welcome to the Greetings from Gaming Corner, where we talk about video games. <laughs> Livia's dabbing. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm your host, Tyler, and as always, I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Rebecca Faye. Hello, video games. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was weirdly ceremonious. I didn't mean for that to be so intense. <laughs> Uh, and my other co-host, Olivia. Yo, fuck video games. I hate them. No ceremony here. They're the worst. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Debate, we debate, debate. <laughs> video oh, games, God. pro or con? <laughs> video games killed my uh, dad, and I'm done with them. <laughs> my video game dad works <laughs> at Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> If video games were ran like the presidential debate, who would be like the head spokesman? Speaking of like Phil Spencer and like. It would still be Phil Spencer. (laughs) It would still be Phil Spencer? Okay. Reggie would be on Fox News every night. (laughs) (laughs) You think Reggie would be on Fox News? Really? You think? He runs runs, like an Alex Jones like sect channel that's just memes. Oh, you're right. And like Mother 3 references. uh, You know what I mean? Ooh. He's like also sidetracked, <laughs> but Nintendo. God, did he... you guys hear that Alex Jones was arrested and he's in jail for yeah. DUI? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which right, exactly. Can't believe Thank it took you. this long. Good. Sorry, we're you know video games. We don't talk about politics because they don't exist in video games. But oh, we just right. got a little yeah, political. Can so. we name this episode? Uh, who is the Alex Jones of video games? Because I would like that <laughs> to be the episode title. I will. Is that going to be good or bad for our SEO? We are going to get so many people who will just randomly pop in because Alex Jones is in the title, and they'll be like, what is this shit? Making the frogs So welcome, gay. if that's why you're here. If you're here because you saw Alex Jones within our title, welcome to the Greetings from Gaming Corner, where we do talk about video games and maybe the politics within them. But mostly um, socialism! Woo! <laughs> games for everybody. Free for all. Um, How have you guys been? It's been a while. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> like what are you playing be what games are you playing i'm not asking how you are i'm talking about how what games you've been playing <laughs> if anything at all I've i myself have not been playing much of anything sorry olivia i mean we'll talk over you what have no, you been you're playing good. i was gonna say i've been playing punch out on the nes <laughs> and that oh, game cool. is extremely is hard it's like very hard <laughs> Uh, maddeningly hard, especially when you're doing it on stream. It's a lot of pressure to play Punch-Out on stream. <laughs> um, so let me answer, what are your Punch-Out questions? Bring them here. This is my Punch-Out cast now. I'm hijacking the podcast. Mike Tyson, yes Good. or no? I'm playing the Mr. Dream version, which uh... I don't know if you guys know, but they basically took all the character animations of Mike Tyson and then made him into a blonde white guy. And that's who Mr. Dream is. What? That seems racist. There's quite a few characters that are just palette swaps, and they often change races where it's like, here's a white guy, here's a black guy, and like they're so rudimentary, but it still feels a little weird to me that they would just be like, let's just change the skin color. That's this cool. Is, we got a new character now. This is off-brand. Yeah. This feels like an off-brand, <laughs> like Tyson Punch-Out. That's strange. Yeah, this is what's on My the question... Classic. So that's what they gave Okay. Me. No Mike Tyson on that So... One. Since you've been playing Punch Out, do you have a better appreciation for games done quick when they do it oh and my it's just god. flawless every time? Yes, dear God, I was watching the the blindfolded one to give me power, mm. and I was like, I, I can't even. It's so much. I can't imagine like knowing the game that well because it's like 
from what I understand, I'm playing it on like through an HDMI cord emulated, and it's maybe not perfect emulation, and like that game is all timing based, so that could be part of why it's so hard. But I have a lot of respect for folks who are willing to learn that game, the ins and outs of it, and really commit, especially blindfolded. Like it's fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, Beyond Punch Out, I've been playing Hearthstone, and then the game that I'll be talking about tonight, I. I found a got it. I found a bullshit deck, and I beat all the single player campaigns that you can build a deck for. <coughs> it only took Boy. me like forty hours, but I feel very good about it. All my card backs <laughs> are wow. <laughs> what do you mean forty hours? Like so, forty hours, like from start to finish, or from like with this one deck? It took you forty hours. Okay, so in in Hearthstone, there's a bunch of free, not free. There's some of them are paid, but it's like single player things that you can do. And some of them you can build a deck for. Some of them it's like a kind of a Slay the Spire thing where you're getting a randomly a deck that you're randomly choosing from. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you beat the campaign, you generally get like a card back as part of it. And the deck that I made abused a very broken combo where it's like, hey, if you can get these five cards on the board, then you can do one damage to one to an opponent if you play three cards in a row. And you basically set it up to just do that over and over and over again because you've made all your cards free. And oh. but and a lot of these bosses have like 400 health or 300 health. So you're just doing oh, the same sh- thing over and over again. Wow. And you're also like being like, okay, I guess I need to also get this combo exactly on the board. And that doesn't always work. So you're restarting a lot. So it took a lot of time, but it's done now. I'm free of it. <laughs> so. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I, I can't imagine that level of dedication. I'm a cool guy. I'm a cool guy, and people love me. <laughs> You're a cool um, guy. Rebecca, what games have you been playing? <laughs> um. Well, I, you know, I'm playing games, but does any of it really matter when Animal Crossing comes out a week from Friday? I don't think they matter Holy anymore. Shit. I'm in the same boat. I'm just going to be absorbed honestly. by it. Well, but that's the thing is like, um, I always forget that Animal Crossing is really a game that you're only supposed to play like five minutes a day. <laughs> you know what I mean? So everyone's like, guess I'm just going to lose all my life and my time to Animal Crossing. And I'm saying that too about myself. But then I realize that outside of setting up an appointment book to make sure I show up to people's houses when they invite me. Um, Um, yeah, what are we going to do? I will, I, will, I will say I'm in the same boat. I have felt very maybe apathetic or lethargic towards games. I haven't played too many the past few weeks just because I'm waiting for Animal Crossing. I dabbled a little bit. Um, I saw the Baldur's Gate 3 reveal that from Larian and PAX East, and that got me excited about that game. So then I was like, well, you know, I should probably finally bite the bullet and jump into divinity 2 even though it's a 90 plus hour campaign Mm -hmm. um and i've only played like two hours of it and i am enjoying it so far but like also i'm just like i really don't want to be playing this i want to be playing Baldur's gate uh the game i just saw so you know um and i feel like the game i want to play is coming out tomorrow or actually probably tonight already uh it's ori in the blind forest the will-o'-wisps mm-hmm. or whatever yeah that looks great i want to play that mm-hmm. <clears throat> just because or in the blind forest was a great game to, in my opinion and i i've been hearing really good reviews about this will-o'-wisp game and so that's like probably the next game i'll play before animal crossing 
which love, comes out next week. So I love that little bird, the little owl friend in yeah. Corey and the World of Wisps. Yeah, they're my favorite. I'm gonna see what's up with them because they're the spawn child of an evil owl. So we'll see what happens there. Um, is it nature or nurture, people? Who we'll see? We'll see. Anyway, <laughs> find out next um, on our Infowars podcast <clears throat> about video games. Correct. <laughs> nature or nurture? Was the bird in Ori good or bad? Secretly. <laughs> uh yes um well okay so i'm glad you guys are still playing games more so than me um i guess let's go ahead and jump into the games that we want to talk about tonight i know that olivia you have a lot of feelings about your game um but i'll start things off with mine so speaking of games that have been announced uh alongside Baldur's gate 3 frictional gaming has announced their latest game called amnesia uh rebirth yes amnesia rebirth and it's supposed to release this year which is interesting because it looks like it's a next gen game but it seems to be releasing for consoles at the end of this year so that's interesting but hey uh so the game that i would like to talk to you guys about um which i believe you've all played maybe it's amnesia the dark descent the game that started it all well Yes, the game that started the phenomena of horror games being good games to stream on Twitch. Uh, and also very critical components to other future horror games um, in mechanics and otherwise. But uh, Amnesia The Dark Descent, do you guys have any history with this? I can't remember if you guys have played it or not. I played the first... I got to the water monster in Amnesia The Dark okay. Descent. And then I said, okay. fuck this. I'm not doing it no more. But I did play through all of Soma. So I have a little bit of uh, okay. some frictional games knowledge. I'm good. Good. Glad. Uh, what about you, Rebecca? I too gave up at the water monster. And I too finished Soma. So we were in the same boat, <laughs> Olivia. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. Okay. So, um... I'm glad you guys have played it so you're going to kind of know what I'm talking about. But for people who haven't, Amnesia the Dark Descent is, is a survival horror game, first person. Um, you are this character, Daniel, uh, and you're going to this estate in Prussia or something. Um, to Because you don't have your memory. And for whatever reason, you wrote a letter to yourself saying, hey, go to this place and solve this mystery. And so you do that. Uh and the premise of the game is to figure out what happened, why you, why did you lose your memory, what's going on in this house, and, like, why is there this shadow guy running around chasing you? Um, it's essentially a big hide-and-seek game. A lot of this uh, mechanics are puzzles, uh, and with between the puzzles, you are playing hide-and-seek between you and the monster that is chasing you. I want to say this is the first game that, like, revolutionized hiding uh as like a huge mechanic because a lot of games horror games before this uh was more action rp or action shooter horror shooter genre um like dead space or stalker where you had a gun and you could always kind of or even resident evil but like you had a gun and you can always yeah you could always uh shoot the monster or escape in that way even if the guns weren't that powerful you could still ultimately kill the monster or slow it down in some way and run away but this game you actively you have no weapons you have no way of defeating the monster the evil that is chasing you and the only way you can like in a sense defeat it is 
is to run away and hide and like avoid it at all costs. Um, I played the entire game, so I got past the water monster. I will say this game is the only horror game that has ever made me like chill me to the core of my bones. Like when I encountered the water monster, I was frozen in fear, paralyzed. And I couldn't figure out what made it tick, which made it even worse because up until that point, I figured out the mechanics of this, how this game worked um, in terms of like running away from the monster and it made it less scary. But the water monster freaked me the fuck out. And it's I do not blame you guys for giving up because that is a super, super, super scary moment in any video game that I've ever encountered. Um what are you guys? So you've played Soma, which is almost similar to this kind of game in ways. It's a lot more refined. Um, they made a few different uh, changes, but would you, Olivia? Yes. I wanted to say I did. I remembered I did play Penumbra Overture. Like I played the first okay, part of that cool. game, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I remember getting a weapon and fighting the wolves, and then getting fucking killed by the wolves, and trying to use like your little melee weapon and being like, "Wow, this is like actively awful." And I, I wanted to <laughs> yes. comment that. The getting rid of the weapons was the right choice all the way. Correct. Um, for those of you who don't know, so Frictional Gaming, before they blew up with Amnesia Dark Descent, they came out with these two, three, three things called Penumbra. And there's like Penumbra Requiem, Penumbra Overture, Penumbra Black Plague. They're lesser known, but they're pretty much just as good as Amnesia. They do have those weird mechanics. I feel like they were really trying to set up uh, or figure things out mechanic wise for amnesia and so penumbras were just kind of like the prequels to amnesia and their later games but um yes those are very good games i also highly recommend them uh but my question was going to be playing from what you remember from playing amnesia to playing soma can you guys know any differences or any any quality of life things that you really enjoyed better or i i think we might be in the same boat rebecca um, I, I think one of the things I like, I think I just gravitate more towards sci-fi anyways, but just the world of Soma and like mm-hmm. the concepts that it presents were just so much more compelling to me versus the like, hey, you're running from monsters and it's kind of a, you know, sci- not science fiction, but more like medieval kind of technology thing. And that didn't really feel as compelling. And the storytelling in Soma felt more like the character building and everything like that felt more interesting to me. I don't know if you feel that way. I guess I'm speaking for you. What do you think about that? No, I, I totally agree. I, I think Soma is like, I mean, I, I always feel weird when I call something a masterpiece, but I feel like it is start to finish incredible and like mm-hmm. thoughtful and like very cleverly created and just like it, I think chilled me to my core, you know what I mean? Just on the concept of, you know, what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be like a person? Like, I feel like it, 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 it questioned a lot of those things that can be really scary. And, you know, I am in a similar boat to you, Olivia, in which I do think that it was more scary, perhaps because it was more cerebral than the Amnesia of the Dark Descent. And I also kind of feel this way. And I know that this is super incendiary, but I feel this way about Amnesia <coughs> Machine for Pigs, which was the follow up to Amnesia that was done mm-hmm. by a different studio, which also was like less about being scary and more about like the horrors of being alive. And I don't know, I found that to be a lot more yes. compelling um, than the I hide from monster. Please run. Scare time now. Right. Right. Yeah. Amnesia the Dark Descent, it's a great game, but it is kind of very 
bland in its themes um, and just the way it presents itself as a video game. Uh, it's scary, but it's scary because there's a monster that's chasing you and like that's about it. Um, and if you like look at the monster, you get you go insane and like your screen gets all fucked up and makes it even more scarier because you really can't see where you're going anymore. Um, beyond that, the story itself is like, what's going on here? I don't really get it. Interdimensional beings, who knows? Um, and like probably, and also just like unraveling your memory, finding out things that have been going on. Um, you know, yes, there, Olivia. There's one scene that I remember where you're, kind of walking through it's before you've met any of the monsters and you're kind of walking through a bunch of rooms and then you find like you keep hearing things rustling above you and like there's things that are falling yes. over and i do think about that scene a lot being just like a really effective introduction to the horror of this world and like the hey show like show don't tell like don't don't even look at the monster just let their um their actual like the, let them exist in the world and never see them and that's terrifying rebecca what were you gonna say well, and I think, like, to your point, and also to what Tyler said earlier, I think what was so compelling about The Dark Descent was the fact that that is, like, the first time I remember seeing videos of people being so fucking scared. And it was, like, hilarious. Yes. Like, watching it from a third-person perspective. And, like, I, I don't know. I'm, I feel like this is a famous clip, but maybe it's just famous because I watched it 600 times. But it was, like, a video of this guy on a Skype call, and he's playing through it, and his friends are in the background, like, and they're like, yes. oh, I know what part he's at. And he's just like, I don't want to go over to the door, like, I can't get into it, you know what I mean? And it's just, like, there's, like, nothing there, but it's still funny. <laughs> and, like, and I he, feel like that was has... what was compelling about it. <laughs> yeah, and he has his chair friend, he's like, chair, go check on that noise, oh. and he like, throws the chair <laughs> yeah. across the room. Tinder <laughs> cylinder, I remember. Right. Um, I feel like that, and I feel like... This game came out when Twitch was kind of on the horizon of of becoming what Twitch is today. Um, I feel like Amnesia definitely benefited from that Twitch community, that 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 outreach, um, because it just made for hilarious internet content, and like everyone tuned in to this super spooky game. And then like from there, I feel like Twitch, like they both the game Amnesia: The Dark Descent and Twitch, the streaming platform, benefited equally from uh the release of amnesia uh so i i don't know it's it's a it was it's just for the time for 2010 when it was released like that was just like a golden year of gaming or in general uh just a lot of things happened that year so it's interesting when but, you compare the dark descent to soma because i feel like you can't tell people about the dark descent for completely different reasons than you can't tell them about soma you know what i mean like right. you don't want to spoil things like the water monster in dark descent because it's so scary the first time but soma is like you can't tell people the ending <laughs> you know you can't fundamentally talk about the plot because it's like yeah. crazy um which is i don't know it's just such an interesting dichotomy between the two of like how one is very experiential Correct. I'm. I have loved frictional gaming for a long time now, um, and I'm glad to see, or glad to have followed them through their entire video game journey. And they feel like they're moving in a great direction. I don't know how. I wasn't as enamored or enthralled by the rebirth release or, or announcement. Um, I'm here. I'll play it. I'm curious to see where they go with it. I just felt like Amnesia as a franchise was kind of it's done you know like i don't know what more they could do if they're going back to 
maybe revive of the the original villain or something or if it's supposed to be like a second prequel because they've already done a prequel to it which was justine which is the dlc to uh, amnesia the dark descent um so i don't know what they're gonna do with it but i wish this wasn't as excited maybe they really fleshed out the story now and who knows maybe it'll be more like soma where it's it's less monster focused and more you know, psychological horror almost, um, mm-hmm. and asks different questions and gets a little bit deeper. We'll see, I guess. Um, do you guys have any remaining thoughts on it? Would you recommend playing Justine? Like, is that necessary to the, like getting the story or what were your feelings on the DLC? No, the D- the DLC was very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was like a guilty pleasure almost, or it's it's like it's very cut and dry. Like it's it's very linear, first of all. It doesn't really serve any purpose for background. It's literally just you're playing as Justine before Daniel arrives, which uh and you're running around kind of trying to escape um the dungeon, but you spoilers you don't. Like spoilers you don't. Um and it's a lot of water monster. Like, if you didn't like the water monster, it's all water monster. And you're like, okay. Uh, yeah, Justine is basically, I mean, I'll just break it down. It's just about this uh, girl who was being tortured um, for reasons. And she escaped. And then she's trying to escape, but she has to kill these other prisoners for her escape. It's kind of like Jigsaw a little bit. Um, so she has to solve these puzzles and either, like, save the people or kill the people, but she ends up killing them all anyway. Um, and, yeah, and, like, that's it. And then, of course, at the end, you just don't you don't escape because that just doesn't make for a very good prequel. Um, it wasn't a very... It's, like, it maybe takes you an hour and a half to beat. It wasn't a very enthralling or thrilling DLC prequel. I, I wouldn't recommend it. I mean, if you really love Amnesia, you really love it, go for it. But I would I wouldn't say it's required or or definitely something you should look into. This isn't a like Bloodborne DLC where you, you like you must play the DLC where it's that good. Mm. Nope, not here. So, do you have a favorite part besides the water monster? Besides the water monster, favorite part of Amnesia: The Dark Descent probably when you found Augustus. And you were like, what the fuck is this? And he was like, hello, friend. And you're like, okay, great. Or no, not Augustus. I'm sorry. It's Henrik Cornelius Agrippa. Um, oh, yeah. He was a severed talking head. I guess Ooh. light spoilers, but it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, that was that was kind of neat. But like, Yeah. What was that? Yeah, it is. It's Mimir. <laughs> Truly it is. My yes. four dads. Because there's a lot, a lot of the game is just like the monster chasing you in the kitchen or throughout the, the the castle that you're in, and it's just like okay, and it gets really tired and boring, and your lantern goes out, and you have to deal with your you know madness, and everything's all blurry. And now that I'm thinking about it, it wasn't like I had fun playing it, and I was scared, but like I'm thinking back on it now, and I'm just like, yeah, it was kind of like a trudging through the trenches just to get to the end. So. <laughs> But I would still recommend playing it because it's still a great game. If you've never played it before, it's a very good first experience. But I, anyway. I do feel like it's worth mentioning, too, is that, um, you know, I feel like part of its staying power and part of its, like, legacy was how many incredible DLC mods there are for uh-huh. Amnesia the Dark Descent. Like, I feel like that was the first game that I really remember seeing so many engine-built custom games 
that weren't like source you know what i mean like you know how people are making source right. games for forever um I feel like when this game came out, then you started seeing people put together these, like, fully voice acted, custom animation, custom rendering, like, Amnesia Dark Descent stories, which was awesome. And some of those are really incredible works of art on their own. Um, So I feel like that, like, if anything to come out of it, like, even if it is sort of a proof of concept on its own, right? Like, what the fans were able to do with it is really incredible. Does it have gun game? Yeah, I agree. Can I get gun game in my Amnesia of the Dark Descent? Uh, you might, actually. Maybe? Oh so they port it to the CSGO. <laughs> Can I play the Amnesia <laughs> levels in CSGO? Yeah. I want to play the dust map on I mean, Amnesia. Who knows? We, I, we haven't looked, you know? They might be. And people will never know. <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, so yeah, if you haven't checked it out, I would check it out. Um, who would like to go next? I'll let... You guys choose. Let's get into Olivia, it. I don't. Do you, I want to finish on a positive burning? note, so I think that we. Yeah. Should okay. Probably... Me too. Me too. Let's let's go with Olivia. What you, game? You have higher hopes than I think you should, but okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I want to ask you guys to think about the metaphor of a shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> imagine. Okay. Imagine uh-huh. the, the best possible sandwich ever. It's the best thing you've ever eaten. I should rephrase. It's a pretty good sandwich. It's like compelling and you're enjoying it. Yeah. And then you just like. It's a bologna sandwich. You get a couple bites in and then you're like, something's not right here. Something's rotten. This tastes disgusting. And then you start unpacking the sandwich and you realize that it's just shit. It's shit all the way down. The first bites were a trick, but then you just keep eating it because you're a fucking monster and you don't know why you keep eating it, but you're broken as a human. And that's the experience that I'm having right now with Death Stranding. Um, as I'm attempting to, this is therapy. This is not a podcast anymore. This is me trying to work out some inner demons on this recording. Um, Death Stranding. It's a game made by uh, Kojima Productions. This is the new Kojima Productions, free of Konami. Hideo Kojima is at the helm here. Came out in 2019 on the PlayStation 4. It's coming out on the PC in the near future. I think it's like June 6. Um. Hotly anticipated game. We've we've had multiple conversations about this game, um, leading up to it, the the hype cycle, getting to an uncontrollable point where nothing was really explained about it, um, and then now we've we live in a post Death Stranding world where it's it's free and in the world and people can have their own assessments of it. And I feel like the critical reception to this game hasn't been super positive. Um, it's been pretty middling, honestly, which I think for. Except for there's some folks who really love it, and I don't understand that uh, mindset. Um, just to give a very high-level overview of what you're doing, you're playing as Sam Porter Bridges. You're building bridges across America. You're delivering things to a post-apocalyptic world that's been destroyed by ghosts, a.k.a. BTs, coming into the world. If they touch another human, they're like antimatter, and it's antimatter and matter touching, and it explodes. Um and you're the you're the son of the president <laughs> for some reason and you need to go on a mission to find your long lost <clears throat> I know the true answer but I'm always was a little confused about the nature of their relationship um Amelia who I I feel like she was always purported to be like the daughter of the president so technically your sister um yeah it's a little complex. you were not were you adopted See, she was like your. I, was she? I feel like it's she not was really your clear sister. Like what like your not? relation is. Yeah. Yeah, because they're always like calling Sam 
Sam is the president's son, but not really because they kind of know that he's adopted. I think that was already implied, but then like you find out that she can't have kids and it's like a big plot point, but not really because he kind of, he doesn't really have any reaction to it. Have you guys played, Rebecca, I know you've played this game. Tyler, have you played this game a lot at all? I've played like 10 hours of it. So that's more than enough. I haven't returned (laughs) more than enough to understand what's going on. So I don't care about spoilers. I guess to be positive about this game, the things that I really like about it are that it's the the gameplay itself is there's something super compelling about a a literal walking simulator where you're walking up the side of a mountain and you're delivering things and you're kind of building these relationships and you can actually like build things in the world or use things that have been built by other players. So it's very similar to I liken it to the Dark Souls kind of like notes experience where you can leave notes for their players. Mm-hmm. But in this, you're actually leaving items for people. And I think that's super cool and interesting that, you know, you can kind of build on what other people have done and like you can leave little likes for them and then you can see that reflected in the world. Like, oh, this got like 10,000 likes. It must be a really good thing. And you get likes yourself. And that's kind of compelling. Um, the game kind of falls apart when it comes to the, at least in my opinion, some people would agree with, disagree with this, that the characterization of anyone in the game is not compelling in any way. Um, the story is horrid to the point of being offensive when it comes to some of the concepts that it presents. Mm-hmm. Um, the It just goes on. It just goes on for entirely way too long. Um, but I keep playing it. And I'm, I'm like, I've beaten the game. I've gotten 87% of the, the trophies right now. I need three more and I'm done. Um, and I, there's something really cool about building shit. Like there was an IGN article that was, I think, raked over the coals because it's like, hey, Death Stranding gets a lot better after you beat the game because there's nothing, there's no shitty story <laughs> to kind of keep following. <laughs> um, and it would be really cool if you could just start the game, like if there was the survival mode or something where you didn't have to actually <laughs> like experience the story. I think that'd be amazing. Um, yeah, I think, uh, Rebecca, I don't know if you have any experiences you want to talk about. Like, if you found the game compelling at all, I'm interested to get your perspective on this. Oi, it's a mixed bag. Like, there were definitely times when I think it clicked. You know what I mean? And I, I think I have told this story before, but, like, the one that really always stood out to me was going to the wind farm, which just mm-hmm. sucks absolute ass, right? Because you have to go through the woods, and it's, like, very rough terrain, and it is BTs everywhere. And this is, like, really before you're given a lot of tools to do anything with them. So yes. it's, like, a tedious slogging part of that game. And so I remember getting up to the wind farm and then being, like... You know, doing my business there, coming out and then being like, like trying to hype myself up, knowing I was going to have to go back. Um, and then someone built a bridge. So I just like I, I did it. I turn on my little link so that I was connecting to other players. And then I walk out and there's just a beautiful motherfucking bridge right <laughs> over the bullshit. Like they just put a bridge over <laughs> the nonsense. And like, yeah. that was the, the first time that I was just like, oh, I get it. I get it. I think I get it now. Um, too bad that wasn't more of the more of it i get you know what i mean like right. i think the most fun i had was when i was just playing that game as a delivery person totally and building roads and traversing around and the worst part was when i had to listen to some really ostentatious monologue from disaffected actors <laughs> that was a really tough <laughs> part of that so, game they're so disaffected i don't it's know bad. how <clears throat> i don't know how norman Reedus like i i I've seen him act and I know that his acting style like in The Walking Dead is that he's like um, a pretty stoic character 
who yeah. doesn't really feel emotions. Mm-hmm. But like the delivery in this game is so horrific. Like a specific, I, I think a lot about the, there's a part at the end of the game where you're like, oh shit, this lady who I was delivering stuff to ends up, she's like the extinction entity. And like, I didn't even want to be a part of this. And if she tricked me into building this whole network so she can kill everyone. And then it's kind of like portrayed, like you keep getting calls in your radio to be like, what are you going to do, Sam? Are you going to like step up? And he's like, fuck America. I don't care. I don't give a shit about this. And then he's kind of talking to himself as you're walking. And he's like, I guess I might as well do this. I guess I got to go save the UCA or whatever. And it's like, he goes from like zero to 60. Like he goes from being like, fuck this to I'm going to, I guess I'll do this. And there's no like change in his tone or tenor. There's no change in like his emotional state. It's kind of just like he walks for 10 minutes and he's like, I guess that's like nothing better to do. So I'm going to go do this. <laughs> and I'm like, this is like oh your God. key character moment. This is the point where you're actually changing as a person supposedly. Yeah. And it's very bad. Um, I did want to build on what you were saying about the uh, like, fi- like in particular going over the woods, because a part of the game is, like to get one of the achievements is you need to max out your um, relationship level with all of the different um, preppers and other like places you can deliver stuff to. Yeah. And building the um, zip lines, which I don't know if either of you messed with, but the zip lines are a necessary function, I feel like, to actually get that achievement. And basically the game becomes, hey, instead of walking everywhere, why don't you just fly over everything? and not have nice. to deal with anyone. <laughs> and I I feel like there's something super satisfying about that because you have to put in the time to actually go and like build your relationships with people and like you can't really get enough um like internet juice, the chiral network you have to expand so much to like <laughs> you have to have enough internet juice to build um all of the uh zip lines and that just takes a lot of work and time and there's like something really rewarding about like finally I've completed the network and I no longer have to deal with the bullshit. The BTs cannot get me up here in my weird flying suit thing, um, <laughs> which is okay. a very satisfying feeling. Go ahead. Well, so how is the moment for you in which they go, hey, you know all that cool stuff you built? Never mind. And then you have to go back. So I was warned about that, actually. Do they actually erase all of your progress that you've done? up to a certain point so i don't know because i had heard that they do delete everything but whenever i played through it um there's two zones in the game there's like the central region which is like you know the second part of the game and there's the tutorial region which is like the eastern region and for me all of my stuff stayed in the game for the central region and it didn't remove everything until i got to the eastern region and it's like hey go ahead and get back without any of the stuff like use whatever other porters left for you and thankfully, there's, like, not that many fights. Because I, I was dreading this the entire game. Like, I maxed out all of my relationships before then. Because I was like, I put so much time into building this network of things. I'm not losing it. So I did all of that. And then the Eastern region's pretty easy. Because you don't have to deal with the, the, the normal BTs aren't there. It's those weird, like, floaty octopus things everywhere. Which aren't oh, yeah. super hard to get by. And then after you beat the game, you actually come back and all your stuff's restored. Which I didn't know about either, which okay. was I was thankful for because I was like, okay, cool. Put a lot of time into building these goddamn uh, zip lines. I'd be kind of pissed if I lost them all. So thankfully, that was That's the reality good. there. That's good. Um, Tyler, I want to hear because it seems like you just dropped off entirely. From... I dropped off. Um, yeah, I played the game when it initially came out, um, and I set up a few points i feel like i like just barely left the tutorial Mm -hmm. and then 
And then I just stopped playing because I just had to stop that day and then I never returned to it. Um, I The last thing I remember was the lady in red on the beach on Princess and Mario Beach. She... <laughs> Someone passed away, and now I have to go say see that girl on the beach. Okay. And die, does Die Hard Man with the face mask, mm-hmm. the, the skull mask, mm-hmm. he got all up on me, and he's like, yo, you got to go do this. And I go to this abandoned, I think it was the abandoned factory. This might have been after the abandoned factory, where you have to restore power to it. And that's like your first like real encounter with the BTs. I don't remember if it was... If, if, was it like the incinerator? Yeah. Like, like, because you carry a body up so. there. I think so. Because you have to go carry... Yeah, right. Because she dies. The Whoever in the in the, in the the Oval Office, she has her sick bed in the Oval Office. She dies. You have to go take her body to the incinerator. And you do that. And then I got to like the next city after that. And that was where I stopped. That was the last thing So you Okay. You, you, start, you let stop pretty early. Because I don't think you even get the ability to like really make things at that point. You're kind of No, just... I... Not really. I mean, like, I did a few things, but there was, like, it was storage. It was no vehicles, no bridges, no zip lines, no anything else. So. I could see why you would stop. I mean, I think that game is a lot, and I think you aren't really given... I... Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, I enjoyed what I played. I I really enjoyed traveling and, like, picking up the stupid cargoes and, like, throwing it on my back and my arms and my legs and, like, whatever, and getting out my ladder and, like putting it up mountains and shit um yeah but beyond the but like the actual like story of it i was like okay this is like what the fuck is going on there's so much information that i have to like absorb or should just already know what it is they really let you stack it though. onboarding you can yeah. really stack that cargo you can get like ridiculously stacked <clears throat> um yeah I feel like I've been super negative, um, and I want to I want to get more negative before we get positive. And I, I wanted <laughs> to talk about the uh, cons, a few of the things that I think are like reprehensible that I wish were never added to the game. Um, the whole concept of still mothers uh, is Ugh. disgusting. For those yeah. who don't know, it's like, hey, this mom had some kind of. I, they don't really explain how they get the mothers, but they're basically like brain dead. Like they aren't really alive uh-huh. anymore and then they're basically keeping them alive so they can take their babies and stick them into the containers which is what Lou is and then um mm-hmm. they use that because they have some kind of connection between the dead and the living and like if the mom dies mention baby... babies yeah it's like real gross like the whole thing is just just not great like you could have found a way to work around that um <laughs> um the fragile's character uh, it just feels like this weird parable about like a woman's sexuality being like the only thing of value. And then like she grows old and now she's worthless and broken. And I, I, like she does get a redemption arc there, but that just felt like a really like, wow, this is some base level shit about what who fragile is. And like, that's yeah. her only defining characteristic is like, oh, I was in the rain and now I'm old and my body's terrible, which is like <laughs> lit- literally like that's all she is. That's her yeah, whole trauma. It's bad. It's really bad. Um. I don't know what the fuck Amelie was doing with the whole, like, I'm Amerigo. Amerigo founded the United States. And it just the whole characterization of, like, what is an extinction entity. Like, I've had some people who have talked to who have felt positively about the game be like, hey, these are more, like, metaphorical characters. And you kind of need to read the story as, like, a metaphor. But it didn't really hit for me that way. <laughs> How can you read that story as a metaphor? It has the subtlety of, like, a lead balloon. It, like, crashes through and is like, hey... Do you want to know what the subtext is? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to make a text. Hey, here's what a text is. 
Sam, read your emails. Sam, the the uh I am die hard man. I cannot die. I am heart man. Literally the dead man one was the part where I was like, um oh, he's like literally made of dead body parts, which I actually yeah. he retracts on and he's like, Oh, I was going to a laboratory or something, and that whole like plot point was super confusing. Yeah. Um so those are just some of the shitty things. Rebecca, do you have any grievances to air about this game? Anything else that I missed that you're like, fuck this actually? I don't know. I mean, I feel like I guess it's all it's like I thought Mama was done dirty. As oh a my concept. god, I forgot. I forgot she just <laughs> dies. She just fucking yeah. dies for no reason. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like apparently was- her her bond to the afterlife was because of her baby and then when her baby got sent back to the afterlife then she just died but then she became one with Lachna because they're connected they're Ha and Ka and they're like I don't it felt really weird it felt kind of offensive to like the idea of like conjoined twins being separate people and it's like no we're not really separate people we're one thing we always were one thing and that was yeah. just bizarre to me um <clears throat> so yeah. thank you for reminding me of that gross shit okay yes, I- positivity zone <laughs> things i liked about the game i liked hartman's whole thing where he was like doing his little like thumbs up fingers i thought that was pretty hilarious <laughs> um <laughs> I... I love his the concept of his character as like i die every 21 minutes and like and but also the fact that he had to like tailor everything in his life to being alive for 21 minutes and like only mm-hmm. having 21 minute long like videos <laughs> like i don't know i don't know why i thought that was like that was funny <laughs> He just seemed like legit, like out of all the actors, like he seemed like the one who him and uh, Higgs seemed like the ones who are like, oh, we get to just be dumbasses who get to like yeah. lean into the ridiculousness of our roles. And just the mm-hmm. the, the specific part where he like dies and then his hand is caught in like a uh, thumbs up position and the camera just kind of like pans down to see him <laughs> like giving a thumbs up to the camera was like really funny to me. Um the whole I, I actually really appreciated the whole Higgs fight and how over the top Higgs is at the end, where he's like literally licking Norman Reedus and then like <laughs> is just teleporting around shooting him in the face. And like it's not really ever explained why like I, the whole thing is really dumb and over the top and I kinda love it. Like that's the good bad Kojima that I like. And the pizzas, the pe- the, the Peter Engler oh, thing, the I don't know if you do. <laughs> I don't know if you know this is like kind of a major spoiler but you get these orders to like deliver pizza to this outpost and then um at the end of the game and they're like ridiculous orders where it's like go from one side of the map to the other you can't use like a vehicle or anything you have to just like walk with it okay and at the end of the game it was literally crusty crab you can't pizza. turn it you have to hold it flat because it's a pizza yeah oh my god this the is crusty the fucking crab crusty crab pizza, pizza is the pizza for you and me yes that is at the is. end of the yeah, and at the end of the game, it's revealed that Higgs, the bad guy, was the one ordering the pizzas. Like, and it's not <laughs> just a fuck with you. <laughs> oh my god, that's good. That's Did really you do those pizza good. orders? Because it's like a pretty good reveal, actually. Where it's like you do the last one, and you get like the final. It's called the final pizza, <clears throat> and you go there, and then it's just like the uh, the Pepe Sylvia board, and it's just all like pictures of Norman Reedus up there being like, Who is he? We need to stop him. And this is like Higgs, like private dormitory or whatever. It's like kind of amazing that they committed to the bid that hard. Um, wow. Yeah. And uh, I liked the spooky, scary parts in the, in the base, like in your little home base thing where. You could do things like if you fucked with Lou sometimes, like the baby, he would turn around, he would have a Kim Ultratora's face 
<laughs> screaming at you. <laughs> or like oh, if you looked goodness. the feet enough, then eventually Hideo Kojima would pop out of the ground as like a ghost monster and try to grab you. Um, I don't know. I Interesting. That was fun. I didn't know about those. <laughs> They're all like played off as like <clears throat> dreams. Like you do the cutscene, it's kind of spooky, scary, and uh, then Norman Reedus wakes up and he's like, oh, oh my god. And then Norman Reedus, it's actually the whole like base thing where you make Norman Reedus like look in a mirror and then like blow like blow a raspberry or like. <laughs> make him just drink a fuck ton of monster because why not because that's what it should be I, not really but that's like what this game is it's just product placement galore we got monsters everywhere for some reason Ugh, it's i'm conflicted about this game i think too about god what was that one moment with and i i can't was it the elder the elders is, is yeah. his name right where after a while in game he dies and so like you go to make a delivery to him and it's a pt yeah, so I, I didn't realize this because I got him up to five stars and I was like, okay, never talking to you again later. And then I came to him after the game and I, when you do the Peter Englert deliveries, it does, instead of talking to a person, it does the little like robot voice. And oh, I kept yeah. wondering like, oh, what's going to happen? Because I got the voice from the elder and it was after I'd beaten the game and it was like, I'm like, oh shit, he just fucking died and he's a BT there. And apparently you only get that if you stop doing deliveries to him. Like he can live for as long as you continue to do deliveries. And oh wow! Yeah, if you don't deliver to him, then he eventually dies. Like it's that's like I don't know what I don't know what the hidden mechanic is, but that's like according to some forum post there because I was like, could I have kept him alive? Like I fucked. Him. I thought he. I, for some reason, I guess I thought he always died. But oh shit! Ooh. This is based on a forum post, so I could be totally wrong there. But that's what I when I was doing the research yesterday, while well, I was like, oh no, I killed the I killed the boy, I'm a bad guy. Um, and there was one other really cool thing where I realized that if a if a one of the the NPC couriers, if they touch a BT, then they can cause a void out in the game. Which <gasps> oh shit! Can they? Yeah, yeah, and you have to be like in the area, and I think it only will happen if you're within a point where there could be a BT and there is a courier, and you're there to experience. Like it doesn't just randomly void out. You have to be like an active participant oh. in the area. But if you oh, get wow. caught in the void out, it's like immediate game over, <laughs> which I thought was pretty interesting. <laughs> interesting yeah i I do feel like the game shines in the mechanics of it it is very deep like there is a great level of depth to that i mean the fact that all of the terrain is mapped for difficulty just seems Mm -hmm. like ridiculous and immense you know what i mean and i think the mechanics of the courier stuff is interesting and the traversal is really then like that's the part of the game i think is really good you know what i mean like that's the part that was the most memorable like i remember being so stoked the first time i got a vehicle and I had been really cautious about um, the other, like the what are they called? The porters that have gone crazy and are like mad and want the to mules. Steal stuff. Yes, yeah, I had been really mules. scared of the mules at first, and then once I got a car and I could just like beat beat motherfucker my way through them was <laughs> great, great time for me. Like it just was, it ended up being fun, and then roads were fun, and then I was like driving all over, and then like I, I don't know, there were there were parts of that game that I think are just really stupid and fun, and totally. really enjoyable. And I think kind of like what you said, it is too bad that the game isn't just there's no story. You just deliver stuff. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Like, I know people put in a lot of work into that game and like, it's beautiful. And like, the actors look like themselves, but yeah, it's just it's bad. Kind of shame. Oh, shit. I forgot. I We totally forgot about the like cameos by like Junji Ito and oh, yeah. like. Fucking Conan, Conan is in the game. Kojima and... or um, God, uh, Jeff Keeley. <clears throat> Jeff Keeley is in the game. The Ludens yep. fan. 
Oh my god, and his whole plotline, she just, he just really likes the fucking, like, Kojima, like, logo. Like, that's his whole thing. That's yeah. his character. That's it! Uh, it's so dumb. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. And he, if you read the emails, the emails are terrible, but if you read them, he's like, this will bring the world together. The Ludens is the symbol we need for the future. And I'm like, yeah, man, we do need the Ludens. This is so fucking stupid. That's why Jeff Keighley can't be 83. <sighs> he's too busy with his Ludens project, making yeah. Ludens. Yeah. Yep. Um, He's bringing the world together. Well, I feel like I worked out my inner demons today. My inner BTs, if you will. Um, and I'm happy. Thank you both for humoring me as I dispute my uh, Death Stranding knowledge onto you. I give this <laughs> I give this delivery an, an S rank. Um, Rebecca, what is your <laughs> game for this week? Um, so, uh, I played a game, um, that no one in the whole world has ever played or heard of. It's brand new. Um, it's from 2007. It's called Bioshock. Have you heard of this game? It's, it's pretty niche, I've I heard. Mm. I don't think that's a game. Yeah. I think that's a movie. No. Uh, yeah, would you kindly tell me? I can't even make would you kindly jokes. That feels so wrong in this day and age. It's like a 13-year-old game. I can't make these tired memes. Um, so, yeah, I played Bioshock. Um, very recently, like two weeks ago, um, every once in a while, I don't know if you guys have this, but every once in a while, I'm like surrounded by new games and I'm overcome with a desire to play something old that I've played a million times. So yeah, because that... it's energy to play new games and get into it, right? Mm-hmm. You're yep. just like, I already know this works. I already know what it's like and we're good to go. I get it. Yep. So I was like, hmm, what better way to go about this than to play Bioshock 1, a 13-year-old video game, over again. Um, so Bioshock is a first-person shooter released in 2007, um, and it, it, it you can find it on pretty much every system everywhere. I've played it on the original Xbox 360 copy. I played it this time around on the Bioshock Anthology Collection, the anniversary, the one that was repackaged in 2017, which was all okay. three of the games together. Mm-hmm. Um, conveniently, it was the PlayStation Plus free game for February. So I was just like, oh, cool, I'm going to play this again. Um, so I, I mean, I can't imagine people don't know what Bioshock is about. Um, but Bioshock is about <laughs> you play Jack, who is sort of a mysterious rando guy in a really nice sweater um, that conveniently crashes, and he his, he's in a plane. His plane crashes in the ocean. You're right next to a lighthouse. Wow, a mystery. Um, that lighthouse is the entrance to Rapture. Wow, a place we've never heard of before. Um, and Rapture is this huge underwater city um, created by Andrew Ryan, who's like this objectivist, bent billionaire man of industry who basically wanted to create a city that was free of governmental control and like moral obligation. So mm-hmm. it was like a playground for people to kind of do whatever they wanted, right? So the game itself takes place in 1960, um, but it depicts a city that's sort of frozen in time, right? So the imagery that we get ranges from like the 20s to the 50s pretty broadly. A lot of the music is from the 30s. Um, what we know going in is that Rapture was founded in the 40s and like everything was kind of tediously cool. Um, until they started getting into sort of gene splicing, they discovered this thing called Atom, um, and they were able to create these things called plasmids, which basically gave people the magic psychic powers, right? Um, which is cool, and that was great, and that was, you know, a huge part of their economy, until those plasmids gave people, like, uncontrollable addictions and eventually sort of mutated them into, like, the shells of people, right? So mm-hmm. where we come in in Bioshock is we're in the middle of a turf war, right? Between Andrew Ryan and this sort of blue collar working class immigrant named Atlas, who sets up Andrew Ryan for us as being this maniacal big bad guy that just exists to destroy everything and who only you, the player, are capable of upending. Um, and as you move through the space, you know, 
you confront a lot of really tough themes, um, which I think are quite interesting. You know, they talk a lot about sort of child abuse and child abduction with the little sisters. Um, the big daddies are like tortured, spliced up political prisoners. Um, Rapture itself is basically just a playground for morally reprehensible people. Um, and you get these really cool big set pieces where you're moving, you know, from place to place and meeting different people who are in Andrew Ryan's inner circle, people like Dr. Steinman in the medical wing, who is obsessed with like the idea of physical perfection and beauty, um, and is like obsessed with plastic surgery and is turning people into these disgusting monsters, like in the in the attempt to create something that doesn't exist, right? Um, there's people like Sander Cohen, who's basically a hack artist, like he's just a terrible artist. And but so egomaniacal that he cannot accept it and then, you know, starts torturing people for his art because he feels like that's, I don't know, like that's the right thing to do for entertainment. You have people like Tannenbaum and Suchong who are um, experimenting on people. And, you know, all of this obviously comes to a head when it's revealed why you're there, what your relationship is to Andrew Ryan and who Atlas really is as a person. So, like, it's. It's interesting to play this game 13 years after it came out. I think I originally played it maybe like in 2010, 2011. I was afraid of it at first. I had to watch a playthrough of it because I was so scared. Um, And going back to it now, you know, it's fascinating because it's like massively ambitious, right? It is immensely affecting. It's like a landmark game, but it also has like a really troubled development history, you know what I mean? Like, it was made on a shoestring budget. It was made with a couple paper clips and some dimes. Like, it did not focus test well. Ken Levine was, like, a crazy dude who was impossible to work with and was, like, auteuring his way through this whole process. And, you know, people were working really long hours. It was, like, a really bad environment for people. Um, and yet what comes out of that is this game that, like, still plays really well. You know? It's still totally playable. It's totally serviceable as a game. I think its themes are interesting and matter. And even today, like, I feel like as we're watching, like, societal collapse happen in the background with, like, the upcoming presidential (laughs) election, you know, like, the coronavirus, there's a lot of stuff that's, like, scary out in the world. And it's weird how Bioshock still kind of feels weirdly familiar in the way that it tries to kind of, I don't know, address those things. I think what is interesting about playing it in the anniversary collection is that it comes with uh, a documentary, which was filmed in 2017. And the thing that sucks is you have to find the reels in the game. So you have to find the documentaries in it. And some of those were a little hidden in not fun ways, but that's totally cool. Um, But what's cool about the documentary is they talk about a lot of the creative ways that they tried to hide their shoestring budget, right? Um, So like, for example, the reason why you never see uh, Dr. Tenenbaum up close is because they never had an original model for her. She just had like a generic splicer model. (laughs) So they never show Uh. you like her face because of the fact that she doesn't have a unique um, model. Um, And they, they talk about sort of how a lot of things were staged like framed so that you wouldn't see things that were like not working behind you but you could only see like what set pieces being delivered in front of you like the the scene with andrew ryan and the golf club was was very much that way um the thing that sucks is that it's it still is also really thin at the same time you know i i feel like the game has all these really great set pieces you get up to like sander cohen you get up to the golf club sequence with andrew ryan and then what happens after that is like a really interesting set piece where you go through like rapture slums 
and the apartments where like the highest of high were living right next door. And then you go through this really weird sequence where you have to become a big daddy for no reason and they don't explain like what's happening there. Then it's the end. And that's really it. And I, I think that's what makes playing Bioshock 2 interesting right after it because Bioshock 2 is about, you know, what does it mean to be a big daddy, right? Okay. Here's the thing. This is like, I, I've been sitting and thinking really hard about Bioshock and I'm in, I'm interested to hear your thoughts kind of on this topic that I've struggled with. Bioshock 2 is okay. I think Bioshock Infinite is the game that brought us all together in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, which also is okay. You know, I think it was better than Bioshock 2, but it was okay, right? And so I was trying to figure out what is it about Bioshock? Like, what is it about the Bioshock concept on its own? And my pitch, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts, is like, you know, despite despite its flaws and the fact that it has a really complicated history, it feels very authentic. Like, the writing is very captivating. The autologue stories, I think, are very affecting, like... These are stories of people whose children were abducted and turned into little sisters. Like, these are stories of people who are, like, trying to make a living while the world is crashing down around them, who have, like, no other options outside of rapture. Um, You know, the acting is sublime. It's believable. Like, there's a lot of emotion in these characters. And I started to wonder if the thing that Bioshock got right was that it really shows a depiction of people just being people. You know, there's no heroes. I feel like in Bioshock 2 and in Bioshock Infinite, it tries to set up these systems of like, these people are good and these people are bad, but what if the bad people were good? Or what if the good people were actually bad? Where Bioshock is just like, here's a bunch of fucking insane people just doing their own thing for their own purposes. And like, even when you have characters like Tenenbaum, who, you know, was the woman who was, you know, working with Suchong to create the little sisters, like... She was basically a Nazi. (laughs) Like, she was like a, you know, there was some, like, crazy shit with her in the World Wars. And she was, like, experimenting on people. And she was, like, trying to figure out, you know, like, what makes certain races better than others. And so then she was going to come and use it on the Little Sisters. And so, like, even though you try to get a a redemption of someone like her, like, she's still coming from this perspective of being, like, a really terrible, awful person. Yeah. But I don't feel like the other games did that so good. Actually, I don't know about, I don't know, where are your thoughts on the Bioshock franchise as a whole? Olivia, I know that you, well, we both, we all loved Bioshock Infinite, but I know that, like, I feel like that was what really, I think, brought a lot of us around a central point, you know what I mean? Was, like, how good that yeah. was and how good that felt at the time, you know? How does that I, feel today? I think your point about it being, the, bio, the original Bioshock being about normal people in extraordinary circumstances and learning how to deal and navigate with those circumstances. Like I think a lot about the, in the fish, like I've, I haven't played this game in probably like six months, but I did start a playthrough like in the last year or so. Yeah. Um, and I got to the fish cannery section and mm-hmm. there's the guy who gives you the, um, the camera. I cannot remember his name, but he's oh. like an ally yes. sort of. And then he's like, actually I'm going to fucking kill you. And the yeah. thing I always remember is finding his audio log being like, listen, I'm just trying to like get by and this whole fucking place is falling apart and me and my crew are trying to make things work, but we're not getting the budget to make it happen and this fucking sucks and Ryan's going to like have to pay for this eventually. And yeah. I always, you don't get that kind of like subtlety, quote unquote, like it's not super subtle, but compared to the bombastic nature of Bioshock Infinite, which I still enjoy like there are still good parts of that game um 
like where that game just takes a total like left turn into like hey we're going to talk about the multi-dimensionality of the of the world itself not like these internal <laughs> characters but like you're literally existing in a world where you're hopping between universes which is a cool concept but you don't get those smaller stories like you're saying and yeah. i i think that there is something very intriguing about the idea of bioshock one can exist on its own bioshock two and bioshock infinite are dependent on this original work like they're they're yes. both based in a world where you have to have that context specifically bioshock 2 which you know i think back to it i'm like i kind of enjoy this but like it's totally just <clears> like <throat> let's let's do the first story let's just do it one more time but this time we're yeah. going to talk about the evils of social with more action yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's kind of a fair a failed like parable because it doesn't really ever really like hit that <clears throat> hit the objectivism points that bioshock 1 does um i I, I wanted you to kind of expand on your thought about how the game, like the themes of this game, looking back 10 years or more than 10 years now at this point, mm -hmm. it doesn't really feel as solid to you. Like, because I remember playing this game as a younger person being like, oh my God, like no games ever touched this. It's one of the first games, at least in my experience, that brought up these things of objectivism and like Art Deco. And it was kind of like an entryway into those mm -hmm. things. But I, I wonder as with your perspective, having played through the entire game, like what were some of the parts that just felt really weak to you, at least in terms of its um, kind of moral compass? Like where did it f fall flat? I guess if it did think, at all. Well, I don't know if it did. I think the one thing that it definitely suffers from is it falls back on a trope. It falls back on the trope. You know what I mean? And so I think there is, I don't know. It's just difficult because like there were times where it was like, okay, so we have this person who's a character who was a Nazi. And then we have this person who was like a wronged Chinese man who does not like children. And then we have this person who was sort of implied to be Jewish. You know what I mean? Like, I think one of the things that was sort of weird was that they took a lot of people who were sort of marginalized and made them shitty people <laughs> in mm -hmm. a really weird way. Um which I don't know. I don't know if that lands today. You know what I mean? I think at the time it was an interesting depiction of just people who were crazy. Right. But now I think it feels kind of like, eh, you know, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. I think because I think your point to like race in this world and like not really like in the it's world of Rapture. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like in in Bioshock, the original game, it's like race relations aren't really like commented on like racism, yeah. except for in very like limited sections and i can't think of those off the top right. of my head the beginning of bioshock infinite it starts off with like no we're super fucking racist and we're gonna like yeah. stone these people to death for having like an interracial like relationship and then it completely right. like fucks that up <laughs> like it yeah really like and i'm like at least i don't want to make excuses for what bioshock infinite did but at mm -hmm. least they attempted to tackle that really complex issue of like hey let's talk about race in america even if they fucked yeah. it up completely I feel like that's one thing that I think about with Bioshock where like, you know, they don't really comment on that. And I think that was mm -hmm. a choice, in my opinion, most likely based on the political climate in games at the time. Like this game was already being like, quote unquote, political. And I can only imagine yeah. if they had tried to tackle race relations in that game, like the blowback they would have received, even if that was totally. the right thing for them to do. Right. Totally. But it's it's interesting, too, because then they still present like to me, I had a huge problem with the concept of Dr. Suchong because he talks 
about himself in the third person. <laughs> and he yeah. has, like, kind of a weird v- racial stereotypical accent of a Chinese man, which I just feel, which just now feels like, ugh, like, ugh, yeah. this is where, like, Su Chang go to thing. Like, I'm sorry, that we can't do stuff like that anymore. That doesn't even, like, ugh. And, you know, it's interesting because they talk on the documentary about how much they worked to make Atlas believable. Um, and how like his first iteration was he was like a southern he was had like a southern drawl and they were saying that like in the focus test people thought that he was like lecherous and it didn't it was not genuine it didn't come across well and they like were struggling to find the voice of who atlas was going to be and then they did this focus test in ireland and they got this guy and it just like was the thing and it was this really genuine character and for some reason, giving him, like, an Irish accent, like, changed the way that people perceived him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's interesting because they also talk about, like, worried about the fact that he had a very specific Irish dialect versus, like, it was, like, a Northern Ireland dialect, not, like, a Dublin. You know what I mean? And so they talk about all those things. And I kind of wish that care was given to the maybe the portrayal of everyone else. <laughs> Just, right. like, all other people in that game. I what, One thing you just made me think about was, like, the... <laughs> Um, the depiction of Atlas as like with this Irish brogue and then like he as soon as like the mask is revealed it's like he just goes like hardcore American Italian like mobster accent in yeah. a way that like he has apparently has complete control over the accent that he can choose from and right. like that decision to be like no he's a gangster like that's the trope we're pulling from here and like yeah. even if that is accurate like we don't really ever get more of a depiction of him as like no he's just a fucking gangster that's who he is now <laughs> which i think looking back isn't super great yeah not not amazing i think those those pieces have not have aged well tyler how does bioshock hold up for you i know that again you also were kind of part of this brought on board <clears throat> with bioshock infinite i know this is a game that is a series that's well familiar to you too correct um so i guess maybe throw back to your original question i too also was kind of put off by bioshock itself i didn't play until maybe three years 2010 ish as well after it had been released um just because i was like the hype was like it was there and it was one of those things anyway i arrived to it late but when i did arrive to it i was super enthralled super enamored like, this is an amazing game. Why did I wait? And I feel like majority of it was the atmosphere that was created. Mm-hmm. Because you're in this really cool, uh, futuristic, but also really neo, um, uh, not art deco, you know, style, old, old school style city. Um, and then just Andrew Ryan and his, like, political, um, uh, outlook on things. Just like, you know, uh, no gods, no kings, only men. That you know, kind of banner that he runs under. It was just a neat. Um, it felt like an Anne Rand. Like I was playing an Anne Rand novel, essentially, and so like yeah. that's what really drew me personally to it, um, more so than anything else other than in the game. Uh, and it just was. It, it was just an interesting game. Um, and it played really well, and it, it dealt with both. I'm not a big FPS shooter guy, but like it played with mysticism in a, a bit with all the plasmids. Um, and it was just, a, it was overall just a fun game to play. Um, I, 
looking back on it and like thinking about it hearing you say what you're saying yeah it's super it does not hold up well in terms of like its political correctness it's very this person is chinese and how do you know they're chinese well because they have this weird dialect of english and like okay great thanks you know um i still love it but i understand its faults uh same thing with bioshock infinite which we again we all love but i understand that it's also got its problems so um i'm trying to think of what else like drew me to it but anyway yeah i mean i I don't know it's just it's a game that i feel is like you had said earlier it's a staple in like the gaming history because it just was so wild and new and like out there so yeah absolutely i i think it's it's interesting that you point out the it the cracks are there you know what i mean so right. like as you guys maybe remember i feel like one of the really famous jump scares in that game is in the medical pavilion in the dentist's office yep. when you go yep. up to, so the room fills with fog and then nothing happens like a body appears on the chair but then nothing happens and then it's not until you go up to a desk that the fog happens again and then when you turn on somebody's right behind you um so i did the whole medical pavilion level and i didn't that didn't happen and i started to think to myself like what like wait a minute that doesn't make sense like i didn't it was in the dentist's office right like i didn't miss that and I went back into the dentist's office and apparently I didn't get close enough to the desk. Like I'd picked up everything that was on the desk, but I didn't get close enough to it to trigger that jump scare. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Anyway, then I triggered yeah. it. As soon as I walked up to the thing, it, it I triggered it right away. And it was just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right, right. But it is amazing for being so old, how modern looks i guess yeah like there are sequences like if you really sit and kind of look and wander around rapture like there are hallways in some of the and i think it's in fontaine fisheries where there are like a there's like a wall that (coughs) outside is uh, ocean and there are bodies floating outside and casting like shadows on the walls and like it's very beautiful and like you can walk up to schools of fish and startle them and they will they will like swim away and like there are some moments in that game that are just absolutely beautiful and i I think that was the frustration for me which is like you get these just incredibly rendered beautiful beautiful set pieces and then the last very last part of that game is going through the area where they're making big daddies and they don't ever explain the process for how and or why that's happening (laughs) and then you have to go through the big daddy testing chamber weirdly and then you fight Fontaine and that's the end. You know what I mean? Like that. And then it's like, kachunk, you are a good person or a bad person in the end of game. And that was a, that's such an odd feeling. But it that- is what draws me to Bioshock 2 because Bioshock 2 is all about the big daddy. But the right. problem is, is that they replaced Andrew Ryan with a different person who's almost exactly the same and nothing has changed in like a decade of it being shitty and you have a new guy with an accent that's on the phone all the time. The end. Except right. now he is like a really hammy, like, hey, kid, step on into that love thing over here. My name's Augustus Sinclair. It's just weird. I love it. I love your... It's like even the even the audio logs lost character. 
Like, I yeah. remember listening to one that was in the baths, because you start off in the in the baths, which is supposed to be, like, these beautiful, you know, super luxe spa. And you get this thing that's like, hey, honey, we're going to the thing. And, and they swell. And it's just like, it totally is immersion breaking because it doesn't have the same. It's like these one-off stories. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what Bioshock right. had was, like, these chained together audio logs of, like, following this mother as she learns that her daughter's abducted and is like trying to find her and finds her as a little sister and like then that's when you find her body like she committed suicide like like you get these these beautiful kind of string pieces that sort of add this character in this story and you know they do talk about in the commentary about how because of their budget constraint if something wasn't 100 percent necessary to do in person it got put in an audio log <laughs> which is too bad but it shows how important all of that that stuff is, and I feel right. like I I feel like Bioshock Infinite did the audio log really well, but I don't know. I just I I wish I wish I could articulate what it is about the first Bioshock that just did it and I that think, hits on all the cylinders. You know, I think compared to the other Bioshocks, um, Bioshock it's the first one. It's like a play. Like, it has its first acts and everything, and then, like, mm-hmm. it continues on, and it builds and builds and builds to, like, the yeah. climax. And, like, it of all the Bioshocks, Bioshock is, like, the best play as a game. And, like, yeah. 2 doesn't do that at all. It's very disjointed. Mm-hmm. And then Bioshock Infinite probably returns to being a play, but it's it, lose, it lost something in, in, on the way, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. I, I do wish they had never tried to explain itself because like Bioshock Infinite and Burial at Sea gave them the ability to be recursive, which I think is not what that series needed. You know what I mean? Like it right. needed to be its own thing. And I think Olivia, you sort of mentioned the idea of like everything else requires Bioshock 1 in order to make sense. But Bioshock 1 doesn't require anything. To right. me, it just is its own sort Correct. of entity. So yeah, I don't know. Um, It's good, though. I recommend playing it. If you play it on easy mode, it'll take you about two hours. <laughs> it's so easy. It actually hurts. Use would, the wrench. <laughs> I would not recommend playing on like the 1997 mode because that's what I was like. I'm going to get that achievement. I'm going to fucking do it. And that is impossible. Like it's extremely difficult. Like oh, oh my God, harder don't. than no, it takes all the fun out of the game. That's why I stopped playing. because I was like, this is too much. I'm done. I think easy <laughs> mode also might take all the fun out of the game because I did not die one time. I did not even die one time. And the final fight with Fontaine, which is like that really hard several phase fight, took uh, about five minutes. Well, I was I hit s- him like two times. I wanted to say, like in the documentary, did they bring up the final fight? Because I feel like it's always been, from what I understand, is that they just ran out of budget. They're like, we need to put something in here to like fi- finish this, and that was kind of their um, answer. They didn't really talk too much about it. I was kind of surprised because they did talk very openly about the rest of the budget being like like how much was condensed you know what i mean and maybe that's what is sort of good about it is not the fact that their budget was terrible but like everything that was in it was in there for a reason and it Mm -hmm. was purposely put in there and it needed to be there where maybe other things get lost in the extraneous stuff right Hmm. one thing i'm thinking about is i know we've talked about prey in the past like the yeah. 2017, I believe, game was? Yes, 2017. Um, do you feel like with this context, having recently played Bioshock and <clears throat> I think Prey, like, does that seem like a worthy successor or do you feel like you're missing some like some critical essence to that with that game? No, Prey is a worthy successor. 
Because Prey did the thing that Bioshock did, which was it made everybody important and it told stories that were important. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Right. And I think I think what it added was the flexibility of how to approach a situation where the way that Bioshock doles out powers makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's sort of like, here's a set piece plasmid, here's <clears throat> a set piece plasmid. And then it's like, I don't know, you can buy them from vending machine or whatever. We're not going to tell you about it. And then like that's the end. Right. And it's just kind of weird. Um, where I feel like Prey is a lot more, I don't know, it's a lot more fluid. I think it's a lot more of an RPG in that sense. Mm-hmm. Although I think the ending of Prey is still kind of weak. Like, I, I feel like people haven't figured out how to end a shock game because they always end like really stiffly. Yeah. yeah. No shade to Prey, but it was a little, it was a little stiff. Yeah. yeah, it's such a bummer a that bit. System Shock Three seems like it's not happening anymore. Because I was like, oh, I would like to see more yeah. games. Like, what's the yeah. what's the term? There's a very specific term for like games like Prey. Oh, I can't remember. They talk about it on a waypoint a lot. Immersive Sim. <laughs> Immersive Sim. Yeah, I was yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be nice to get more of those in the world. So there's hope. I think there's hope for the System Shock remake. They've just st- they've stopped calling it System Shock remake, and they're just calling it System Shock now because they've basically redone it. Like they got Chris Avalon writing for them. I yeah. have hope. Well, it was I think system, it'll be good. I think it's System Shock Three that canceled, or is like yeah. feeling that's the one that's like that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The remake yeah. is still on. The, table, the remake is still on. Yes, it's like I. It's apparently a bit. It's big. Cool. I played the demo of the remake and. It's very well done, I must say. At least from what I've played, anyway. Like, I, I don't know. I never played the original, I suppose. But, like, it's very well done. I, it, I've i had a good time playing what I had to play, so. Yeah. See, I told you we'd end on a positive note. I'm very thankful that we did. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Well, okay. I guess on that note, um, <laughs> thank you all for joining me. Uh, this has been a Greetings from Podcast. You may find us wherever podcasts are hosted such as apple Podcasts, simplecast spotify and more send us your questions to greetingsfromcast at gmail.com or visit us on the web at greetingsfrom.zone read many of our articles and don't forget to follow us on twitter at greetingsfrompc my name is tyler and you can find me at world jumping on twitter olivia where can they find you you can find me on twitter at live jq rebecca where can they find you you can find me at rebecca Fay on twitter Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. A man chooses a slave obeys. Would you kindly listen to us again? Hey, gamers. That was it. That was the podcast. Thank you for listening. Our intro and outro song is an edited version of Deep Fried Space Food by Substitute Sandwiches. You can find a link to the song, plus links to everything else we talked about this week, in the podcast description. Please visit us at greetingsfromcast.zone to listen to more episodes, or to find out more about your host and read our various video game articles. You can also follow us on Twitch and Twitter at greetingsfrompc. Send your questions, messages, or rants about your favorite video games to greetingsfromcast at gmail.com. Or you can call us on our hotline at 347-642-6377. Bad with phone numbers like me? Just remember to dial Firm Gamers and you'll reach us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.